The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports, the where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. That's right, it is Thursday, and this is another edition of Secondary Perspective. I'm ho- joined by my co-host, as always, you can find him on Twitter at MileHighMario. You can find me on Twitter at NickFerguson underscore 25. Hey, and by the way, don't forget, you can always listen live every week. Make sure you go out and get that Voice America app for free. If you don't know... It's on, your, it's on your phone if you have any kind of smartphone, Apple phone, Verizon phone, whatever you have. Go get that app, and you don't want to miss anything that we have to say on this show. Mario, I, it, another fun-loving show. Later on, we're going to be joined by former Green Bay Packer Philadelphia Eagles, and he spent some time with the Miami Dolphins wide receiver Antonio Freeman. He's going to talk about everything Green Bay Packers and a little bit of Baltimore Ravens and give us his take on what he thinks about Baltimore Ravens signing Matt Schaub. Does it really change anything for Joe Flacco? And also we'll talk to him about what's going on in Philadelphia. Uh, Mario, let's, let's go ahead and get to uh, Freeman. I can't wait any longer. Antonio, thank you for joining the program. You know, it's been a while. You know, we've been trying to get this thing done, but, you know, I've been on that March madness, mad madness. So, uh, You've been having difficulty getting it done, but it's a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad that, that you're on and you're speaking of March Madness. Uh, we'll talk to uh, uh, college basketball analyst Greg Peterson later on the program. But, yeah, we've been missing each other. And, you, and I didn't know that you were as big of a March Madness fan as you currently are. And you told me that uh, you're going to the game, the Final Four. Is, is that right? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to Indiana. Um, you know, a funny story. I, I broke up with a girlfriend of mine when I was in my 20s because she wanted to take me on a trip, and I was more concerned with being at March, March Madness. So uh, you know, that, that's how deeply embedded this love for March Madness is. Uh, and I'm going to Indy. I'm going to be rooting for the University of Wisconsin. I, I had Notre Dame meeting up with Wisconsin. I think both of those teams play similar styles. But Wisconsin has a lot more height, um, and I, I've been watching 
uh, Wisconsin throughout the year, and I've been watching Notre Dame, and I knew that they could contend with Kentucky. But when you play a great team like Kentucky with so many athletes and so much height, uh, it comes down to possession. And, and, and if you're going to beat Kentucky, you have to maximize your possessions, and you can't have a lot of wasted back-to-back possessions when you're playing a great team with so much talent. You know, that, that's funny. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you look at John Calipari and what he did with UMass and uh, Memphis and now with Kentucky, and, and it's always a concern about the one-and-done guys, but you just mentioned something that was really important. You look at the depth on that team and you look at the length on that team, and they make it really difficult, you know, for you to once you try to get the ball inside the paint. And one thing they, they've done very well that I've been impressed with is the way that they play defense. So, I mean, it's going to be a great game against Wisconsin. I know Wisconsin, you know, they're figuring and feeling as though, well, we were right there. We were one possession away, but we let it slip through our fingers. Now, they're thinking that they're not going to do the same thing. But something you mentioned that was really funny, and I've had guys come on the show and talk about relationships and how they develop in the NFL. And you just said that you broke up with a young lady because it kind of conflicted with March Madness. I mean, how? Come on, come on, Freeman. There's priorities, man. Hey, here's the situation. It was, I was going on a cruise. So if anybody has been on a cruise, you don't have local television. And, and I'm not one of those guys that's satisfied with stopping in the islands. They barely have the USA Today. You lose track of all this stuff. And this was the day and age before smartphones and iPhones. So it wasn't a lot of connectivity back to the real world once you got on those cruise ships. I mean, you get to watch a few movies and some local reprogramming that runs on and on and all, but you don't get any of the match March Madness. And this was a week-long cruise, so, you know, I might have fell for it if it was a three- to four-day cruise, but the week-long thing, I definitely couldn't do. Well, see, I've heard of guys and relationships breaking up over John Madden football, but I haven't really heard anyone say that they kind of broke up over March Madness. So, so that is very uh, interesting uh, uh, indeed. But while, while we're talking about relationships really quickly, talk to us on, on how for you uh, was it that you kind of navigated that dating field being a player of your caliber in the NFL? Well, you know, I, I just want to follow up quickly. I, I was one, also one of those guys who broke up numerous times over the John Madden game also, so you can throw me in that category as well. But uh, <laughs> when, when, you, when you're talking about navigating relationships in the, you know, when you're a professional athlete or uh, you're a celebrity of some sort, uh, it all comes down to, to, to you. You have to know yourself. You have to understand yourself. And you have to understand the, the situation that you get yourself into. And you have to be honest with yourself more than you do the other people that you're associating yourself with because you have to believe and know that you can get it done on your side. I mean, there's so much that's going on. You're consumed with learning the playbook and being perfect on Sunday. Uh, You have to manage your relationships. Uh, You have to manage your family relationships, your business relationships. So there's a whole lot that goes into being a professional athlete as opposed to just lining up on Sunday, and we haven't even talked about the financial aspect of it, but there's just so much that you're consumed with, and, you know, I I just wanted to be happy. I wanted to take trips. I wanted to do the things that I wanted to do. I wanted to to enjoy the the lifestyle of of, of the 
the National Football League, and for some reason, it just took a, a voyage by myself. You know, that's not the way that I planned it. That's the way that it kind of uh, played out, and uh, it gave me a chance to grow up, to mature, again, to learn more about myself, and, and just learn more about life and, and, and responsibilities of life. So uh, it, it was kind of easy for me because I kind of just stayed clear and stayed to myself and, 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 and enjoyed myself because before I couldn't jump into the next phase, I have to be satisfied with uh, my living situation and, and, and what I was able to accomplish up to that point also. If so, you Antonio, join, you're... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Nick. If you just joined us, we're joined by uh, former Philadelphia Eagles and most notable Green Bay Packer wide receiver Antonio Freeman. Go ahead, Mario. Well, Antonio, I was going to say you had said that Madden had caused some strife in your relationships. Was it ever because uh, a girl had beat you at Madden, or are you not ready to admit that on the show? <sighs> not a chance. It was probably my frustration. You know, those frustrations <laughs> you played against you just, teammates. You rage quit before friends. it actually happened. Yeah, I mean, when you're playing with teammates and friends that you grew up with and family members, you talk trash. You say almost anything to each other. And, and when you don't win and, and you, you, you spend that much time being consumed into the game and waiting for the next game because you've got winners for the next game and, you know, she's ranting and raving and I can't believe you're spending that much time in that game and that game's mean that much to you and, you know, <laughs> it's just a phase, man. It, it, it's, it's amazing to look and, Nick, I'm sure you can attest, to look on that video screen and, and, and see Nick Ferguson or see Antonio Freeman and be able to use myself on the game, uh, it, it was amazing growing up. Well, I can, t- I can tell you this. I mean, it was amazing. And real quickly, I remember a friend of mine once called me out of the blue yelling and screaming. I thought something went wrong tragically. And he's telling me, listen, man, I'm playing online football with the Broncos and I'm playing against someone else and you just gave up a touchdown. And he's yelling at me like I actually gave up a touchdown, literally. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you're playing a football game, a video football but game. See, Nick, I if didn't... you were better in real life, then maybe your ratings would have been higher and he doesn't give up that touchdown. I'm going to side with him on this one. Wait a minute. My, my ratings were pretty, pretty high. I think I was in the 95, 97 percentile. So uh, my ratings are pretty high. But you don't call Not me. Not high enough, Nick. Well, I'm you, listening. You, 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 you don't call me and chastise me. You're running fast enough, man. Yeah, but you don't hey, when call you're playing against a 98 receiver, that's not good enough, Nick. The receiver was probably a 98. <laughs> exactly, Nick. <laughs> but, but, but the you're, whole you're, idea. You're going up against an Antonio Freeman-esque wide receiver, like you're not stopping him on, on video football. Yeah, but don't call me and harass me over a video <laughs> game when it's not actual reality. If I did that in a game, yeah, call me and just, just kind of throw me against the wall. But it's a freaking video game. So, mm. you know, yeah, don't call me about that. But uh, you're talking about the chemistry and camaraderie, especially when you talk about the Madden video game. But you had the opportunity to play in a great organization, the Green Bay Packers, and play with one of the best quarterbacks to ever, you know, don a uniform, and that is Brett Favre. Talk about the locker room chemistry, especially the ones that you guys had when you won the Super Bowl. What was that like? Well, I felt like I was so blessed, Nick. I mean, uh, to be in one locker room for the majority of my career – to be in a happy locker room, to be in a team-oriented locker room, to, to be in a locker room with great leaders like Reggie White and Brett Favre and Sean Jones, Robert Brooks, Edgar Bennett, uh, Ken Ruckers, the list goes on and on. Um, and, and just to go to work happy every day. It was never a day that I was a Green Bay Packer that I hated going to work except for I went 
when I went through my contract negotiations in 1999. <laughs> but other than that, it was an amazing locker room. It was a small town, and I was nervous coming from a city like Baltimore, Maryland, where there's so much going on. Uh, but my years at Virginia Tech helped me prepare for a life in a small town, and, and uh, I loved the small town. Uh, the fans were great. The, the staff was great. Coming in playing for a guy like Coach Holmgren and Ron Wolf selecting me uh, in the draft. I mean, those were, those were gifts. Uh, that I was given, and uh, just a great opportunity to play in Green Bay, even during those December months when it's below zero. Those were amazing, amazing days because everybody was cold. Everybody just brought together, and the fans came out, and the players came out, and we just tried to give our best effort, and everyone bought into it. And it's kind of like the Packers way. You know, you don't see a lot of new guys coming to the Packers organization over the years. You see them breed through their NFL draft selections. They don't, it, so there wasn't a lot of change during my time there. There might have been some people going out, but there wasn't a lot of new pieces coming in except for new draft picks, and, and it kind of was a homely feeling there in Green Bay. Now, Brett Favre will return later on this year to have his jersey uh, retired, and we all know, and you just talked about it yourself, you know, players, you, you enter a point of your career where there's contract negotiations, and sometimes those things go rocky and awry, and, you know, the departure's not a great one. But, you know, Brett Farr, I mean, the story tradition in Green Bay, how is he going to be received once he comes back, especially knowing that Aaron Rodgers is now the guy? You know, when he comes back for the uh, Hall of Fame induction, I don't think anyone's going to buy a ticket. Uh, to come in there and heckle him or to say bad things. I think this will be a celebration uh, for Far for his accomplishments, for along with uh, Ron Wolf, who's going into the NFL Hall of Fame this uh, summer. Congratulations to Ron Wolf. Through Ron Wolf, Mike Holmgren, and Brett Favre, they brought championship caliber football back to Green Bay. And I think that's what gets lost in the moment is, okay, there are some scuffles with some contracts. There are some scuffles with whether he wanted to retire or whether he wanted to stay. And, and, and those things happen, but no one gets mad at the organizations when they cut guys before they're able to play out their five or exactly. six-year contract. They cut them in year two or year three. No one's mad at the organizations for making those decisions. And, and, and sometimes, and a lot of times as athletes, we get prejudged about the money we make, whether we're worth it or not. And, and he should not be judged on being 35 and being on the fence of retirement or coming back. And, and I think for the Packers fans, what satisfies them the most is you don't see it a lot. You, you, you played in Denver. You don't see a great quarterback come after John Elway. But after Favre left, they had another great one in the cooking pan ready to get started. And so when you're bringing a guy like Aaron Rodgers and you have that much success, and, and, and you win championships and you're competing for championships and you go 15-1 one year, you kind of look at Favre a little different. Like, yeah, we don't need him. And who does he think he is? But had it not been for an Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers' caliber quarterback to follow Favre, I think a lot of folks in that Green Bay uh, fan base would have a different feeling towards Brett Favre. But when you're succeeded by just as much success and talent as you had before, it makes it easier to bash a guy who, along with those guys I mentioned, brought championship caliber of football 
back to Green Bay. And by the way, he started over 200 and some games, which meant that this was a guy who was dedicated not only to, the, to, the, to his teammates, but to his fans week after week after week. I mean, he was going to get his paycheck whether he took a week off or not. But he, I think it's tremendous that he started that many games under those many physical uh, conditions that I watched him deal with over those years. Pro, if you just join us once again, we're joined by Antonio Freeman, former Virginia Tech wide receiver, Green Bay Packers standout, Pro Bowler and Super Bowl winner. Before we let you get out of here, give us one of those all-important stories uh, that we normally don't hear about Brett Favre. Wow. I mean, he just was a was automatic prankster. I mean, he was, you know, some things aren't made for TV, and uh, <laughs> that locker room is, is such a sacred place, and uh, I honor every moment in that locker room, but uh, I'll keep it simple. I mean, this was back in the 90s, and we were having a team meeting, and uh, there was a place you could go back in the day. I forget the name of the stores, and you could buy what was called uh, fart smell. It was a little, like, cologne-like, Thing. You, if you drop a drop on it, it made the entire area smell like gas or eggs or rotten eggs. You, you get where I'm going, like a fart. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're having our meetings. And, and all of a sudden, the, the meeting room empties because of this smell. And, and when they finally get to the root of it, Favre is laughing the hardest and the space is the reddest. And there's absolutely no consequences for anything that he's done. We just piled our way back into that locker room and uh, got back to work. And it was at that moment I knew he was something special because had anyone else dropped that stinky stuff in that hallway, <laughs> it would have been a bad situation. Well, and if you say something, Antonio, he's not throwing you the ball. Hey, I'm not saying a word. I'm, I'm from Baltimore. <laughs> I don't know if y'all saw that DVD. I don't snitch. <laughs> you probably could be like, hey, hey, guys, that's, that's my bad. Brett, I got your back, bro. <laughs> nah, I, I kind of stay in my lane. I mentioned that earlier in the interview. I kind of stay in my lane. So, uh, you know, he didn't have to worry about me saying anything. But I was a young kid. I was just amazed that somebody could get away with disrupting the whole meeting room and setting us back 20, 25 minutes and uh, just go on like nothing ever happened. Well, I tell you what, not, not too many games can pull that off and not too many games in the game could actually pull off what Brett Farr has done Play the game, accumulate accolades, retire, come back, retire, come back. He is by far one of the best to play the game in the NFL as a quarterback position. Antonio, thank you for joining the program. Enjoy the basketball Final Four this weekend and travel safely, my friend. Hey, thank you. And I'm sorry, I ran my mouth so much we couldn't get to the Chip Kelly story, but maybe that's for another day. <laughs> hey, you, you know what? That, that's why we do the show every week. We can have you back on and we can run the gambit on the Philly for your Eagles uh, if you want to do that. Whenever you need me, Nick, I got you, man. It's always a pleasure hearing from you and uh, it's great to be on your show, man. Keep up the good work and uh, congratulations, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you, my friend. Coming up after the break, we'll talk more college basketball and get you set for this Saturday's matchup with Greg Peterson. Coming up right after the break, you're listening to Nick Ferguson of Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? 
Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. That was some great stuff by uh, Antonio Friedman. And, and so many guys have had their relationship ruined by, uh, by sports. My idea, Mario, is always, if whatever you're into, just like Chris Rock, the great comedian, said, your girl's got to be into as well. So the idea is to bring her in the phone. If she doesn't understand the game at all, break it down to her. That's just like she's trying to explain to you about pumps high heels, and stilettos. You know, you don't know anything about about it. All that stuff, Nick. I I have a very, you know, wide range of knowledge on everything, so. Oh, oh, you do? I mean, (laughs) inform me, please. Please enlighten me. Is there something about you that I don't know? Do you have another outside? High heels and pumps are worn to make the girl appear taller, and it also, you know, defines the legs and makes the butt stick out. Okay, and what what, what about those... uh, I uh, guess what those wooden platform shoes women are wearing now. What, what what's the benefit of those other than hurting your feet? I I guess that's that's trendy, Nick. You know, you sacrifice comfort for looks, man. I I'm not sure what to tell you on that one. Hey, they say beauty is pain for sure. And one person who knows about the beauty of basketball that is Greg Peterson. You can follow him on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81 he's a host for a 90.3 wrst college basketball analyst and a writer for dudes on sports greg thank you for joining us again thank you very much for having me and by the way i don't know much about high heels and anything like that either so don't worry i'm right there with you <laughs> see, 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 Greg's just, right there. <laughs> see greg is like me he's a man's man i mean forget the high heels pumps and stilettos. I mean, let's just stick to what it is that we know. And Greg, sticking to that motif, let's talk about this uh, slate of games of this weekend. Wisconsin repeats again for the second consecutive year against UK, and you have Tom Izzo against Coach K. Uh, When you break these games down, let's start with the the, the most obvious, Wisconsin and UK. Uh, how do you break down these matchups and who do you see to be instrumental pieces on for either team coming out victorious? 
it's really interesting breaking down these matchups because now you're into the meat of the NCAA tournament. These are the final four teams, and quite honestly, these are four of the teams that we really want to see. Michigan State might be a little bit of a surprise, but they were underseated to begin with, and a Tomizzo team peaking in March is not much of a surprise. Uh, I thought that they were going to make a deep run, and they have, and you take a look, the biggest thing to look at in these games is matchups. How do the guards match up with the guards? The forwards match up with the forwards. The stretch guys match up with each other, and Honestly, I think we're going to be in for two really good games because you take a look at Duke, they've got some really nice guard play with Tyus Jones and Quinn Cook, but Michigan State is able to counter with Travis Trice, who he is on his game right now in the NCAA tournament. Granted, he's a volume shooter, but he is just scoring at a proficient rate, and I think that Brent Barnes will step up for them as well, Take a look, taking a look also in that game. There's one thing that you really can't, can't attribute to Duke, and that's a gritty player like Denzel Valentine. Valentine is just a guy that's willing to do anything for Michigan State. It seems like they have one of those guys every year with Tom Izzo. It was Adrian Payne a couple years ago, Draymond Green. They just have a forward slash guard who maybe is a little bit out of position but is able to do a little bit of everything. Then you've got the one I'm probably most familiar with, with Kentucky and Wisconsin, with Wisconsin having just an absolutely magnificent run to get to the Final Four, shooting 10 of 12 from three against Arizona as Sam Decker was just lighting the world on fire, and that's something that... Kentucky might not be able to match up against because they have a bunch of really good forwards and everything, but nobody that's really quite 6'9 and shoots a three like Decker. So that's going to be a tough matchup for them. They obviously have one of, if not the best big man in the country, Frank Kaminsky as well. But one thing that Wisconsin can't match is the fact that Kentucky has four bigs that are just hard to guard for anyone. Carl Anthony Towns, 25 points in that Notre Dame game. They have more sides than every team in the NBA except the Portland Trailblazers, so it's going to be really interesting to see how these two games fare because I think that both of them are going to be epic, epic finishes. Now, before you came on, Greg, we had uh, former wide receiver with the Green Bay Packers, Antonio Freeman, call in, and he's headed to Indianapolis to watch the Final Four, and that's the one thing that he was definitely talking about, the size and the length uh, of Kentucky, <laughs> and, and we talked about this last week. You know, when you look at this Kentucky team, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on them to remain perfect. And, and we saw, you know, what they did against Notre Dame, not cracking under pressure. Can this Wisconsin team, even with the length that they have, take them to the brink? Because once again, last season, you know, when these two teams locked horns, it was a one-shot, one-possession game. You took the words right out of my mouth. Wisconsin, I think, has the best chance of anyone of knocking off Kentucky Although I think that if either Duke or Michigan State get in there, they'll give Kentucky a nice run for their money as well. But Wisconsin's a team that's been there. If it weren't for an Andrew Harrison shot at the end of that game last year, Wisconsin would have been heading to the national championship. They've got the tools to do it. And honestly, Frank Kaminsky in that game against Kentucky did not have his best game. He was shooting under 50% from the field. I believe he had like 13 points or something like that in that game. Sam Decker wasn't quite the player he was last year. And he's actually grown two inches from last year, which is, something that you typically don't see from a college junior, but the Badgers will certainly take that, and I think that they're just a little bit more of a better-rounded team. Bronson Koenig really had a little bit of a coming-out party against Kentucky as he came off the bench and gave the team a spark. Now he's in the starting lineup thanks to that injury to Trayvon Jackson, which, honestly, I think that ever since the injury to Jackson, Wisconsin has been a better team. They've lost just once since early January as a result, and this is a Wisconsin team that can give Kentucky fits especially when you have a player like Frank Kaminsky down low 
who can both shoot the three and drive in the low post and has some really nice moves down there. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Just looking at the statistics, Jackson was only shooting. I mean, he was shooting just under 300 from the three-point line, and he shot that shot a lot. So now with him out, obviously you never want to see anybody go down, but this has actually been really good for the Wisconsin Badgers because it means more inside play from Frank Kaminsky and a little bit more shooting outside from Sam Decker, who shoots the three-point ball better than Jackson. And keep in mind, Bronson Koenig is also a guy that can shoot right around 41 or so percent from three as well. He's a guy that doesn't turn it over as well, which is something that Bo Ryan absolutely loves. Wisconsin is a team that doesn't play the most up-tempo style, but they can if they need to. You take a look at that game against Arizona, they were able to score 85 points. Granted, a lot of that was thanks to the three, but they're a team that takes care of the ball, they're efficient with their shots, and they get the shot that they want, not what the defense is going to get them. And that's a really big key with Wisconsin. And Bronson Koenig has run that offense like a gem, and that's why they have only one loss since he's taken over in early January. Yeah, exactly. So i got to ask you this. Obviously, everybody at the beginning of the season was saying Kentucky has a very real chance to go undefeated, to not lose a game all year. Now they're in the Final Four. They're pretty much at the place where everybody expected them to be. Of the remaining three other teams between Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Duke, who do you personally give the best chance to beat Kentucky? I would have to go with Wisconsin here just because they've been there before. There is no substitute for experience, and Wisconsin has all of that. While Duke is a very nice team, they're just not deep enough to go against Kentucky as well. They only play like seven guys with regularity. As, aside from Julia Okafor, they really don't have that size, although I really love the way Justice Winslow has played in this NCAA tournament. Justice Winslow has been nothing short of magnificent. He has paired up well with Tyus Jones and Quinn Cook, as Julia Okafor has actually struggled a little bit in the NCAA tournament. His last two games, he's combined for 14 points, and that's something that Duke is not used to seeing, but they haven't needed it the past two games, so that's beside the point. But you take a look at this Wisconsin team, they're only, the only player they really lost from last year's team is Ben Bruss, and Ben Bruss was a nice player, but he's not quite the three-point shooter that Sam Decker has become this year. And I would honestly say that Bronson Koenig is a little bit of a better player than Bruss as well. So, honestly, this is a better Wisconsin team than last year. Obviously, Kentucky is a little bit different, and they brought back quite a few guys from last year, but I would have to give the edge to Wisconsin, and I just don't think that Michigan State would have have enough talent to be able to match up with Kentucky because right. they certainly have the grit, but the talent is just lacking a little bit. They would need Travis Trice to get really hot to have any sort of shot in that game. So last question about Kentucky, I promise, and I'm sure that you've been asked it before. You've heard it at least. How many games does Kentucky... <laughs> How many games in the NBA would this Kentucky team win? Because someone in, in the Denver Airwaves tried to convince me a couple weeks ago that this team would win 25 games in the NBA. I said, you're absolutely outside of your mind and how are you even on the radio right now so let's just assume and I know it's, it's ridiculous to think about but I just want to get your opinion on it if this Kentucky team was in the NBA how many games would they win like give me an over under I would give you an over under of about 15 because this is a team that can win a couple games don't get me wrong they have the talent like I said they've got the I mean they couldn't play the New York NBA Knicks team. every single game though yeah, because it's, you're bound to get some lucky breaks to go your way, which is why I'm giving Kentucky the over-under of 15. They've got the talent, and they've got the players to be able to match up with these guys, but they don't have the experience. And you notice that with some of the lesser teams in the NBA, the Philadelphia 76ers, they're a team with a lot of talent, but the problem is they have a bunch of guys that have never been there before, and that's why they're losing a ton of games. Los Angeles Lakers, 
well, that's not the best example as they've got like Jeremy Lin, Carlos Boozer and whatnot, but maybe, yeah, I would say about an over-under of 15. You kind of look at them like you would the Philadelphia 76ers or the current state of the New York Knicks because, let's be honest here, with Carmelo Anthony out, they have absolutely nobody around there. So I would put an over-under of 15. They'd be vying for that for that number one pick of the lottery. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, I would take the under for the record. That With me, I would probably take about a push at 15. I think that 25 is a little bit too high. Not completely crazy, but I would go right around that 15 range just because they do have the talent. Carl Anthony Towns is going to be a top-five pick. Willie Cauley-Stein's a nice player. They've got the Harrison Twins, who I, all, I think both of them are going to be first-round picks, but when you have no veteran in there, it makes it really tough to win games in the NBA. If you just join us, we're talking to Greg Peterson, college NBA analyst and writer for Dudes on Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81. You know, Greg, I mean, you guys are talking about how well Kentucky would fare versus NBA talent. But in comparison to other undefeated teams in NBA, excuse me, in NCAA basketball history, you talk about teams coached by, you know, Hall of Fame coach John Wooten, uh, UCLA, and then the Indiana Hoosier coached by Bobby Knight. How does this team rank up and stack up against those undefeated teams? And is it fair to even compare them to those, those other teams? Well, I would say in sheer talent alone, this is actually one of the better ones. Obviously, they're not going to be matching up with Lou Alcindor because he was, he was a pretty good player in the NBA, to say the least. But I think that this is definitely a team that could maybe give the Indiana Hoosiers from that from the mid-1970s around for their money because Indiana, you keep in mind, Bobby Knight is not a guy that really coached a lot of guys that went to the NBA. So I think they could compete along those fronts, and certainly they're a lot better than a lot of the national champions that we've had in past years. I would, I would gladly take them against last year's UConn Huskies, and I would take, the, take Kentucky to win every single time. But you take a look at some of those great teams of like the 1970s, 1960s, even the Houston Cougars who lost in those final four games to to UCLA, I would take the Houston Cougars over over the Kentucky Wildcats all day long when you've got a player like Elvin Hayes, who I feel like is one of the most forgotten men in basketball history. I would take him all day long. And in in, I believe it was 1970, he was averaging 36 points and 19 rebounds a game or something ridiculous like that. When you got a guy like that and he's not able to win a national championship because he's going up against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, that is absolutely crazy. So... Well, I think Kentucky is one of the best teams, if not the best team of maybe the last 15, 20 years. I just don't think that they would stack up against some of those great teams of the 60s and 70s with the likes of Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Staying with that common theme with the NBA, and you know, you talked about a couple of dominant big men in the game. When you look at college basketball, I mean, you have uh, Carl Anthony Towns and Jaleel Okafor. They're getting a lot of press. Are these two guys, which guy? do you feel would make the better NBA prospect at this point? That's a really tough one. You see everyone on ESPN going back and forth about it. I like Julia Okafor's offensive game, but his defense has been lackluster all year long, so I would probably go with Carl Anthony Towns because I think he has a little bit of a higher ceiling for one, and he's a very good defensive player, unlike Julia Okafor. Okafor is much more experienced with his low post play, getting those moves down there on the block, but Carl Anthony Towns, really having a coming-out party. And part of that is because Kentucky played that platoon style where they were subbing out five guys, so Carl Anthony Towns wasn't able to 
to showcase himself as much early on in the season. And now that he's getting more minutes, it's allowing him to really jack up those points. And he's doing a great job of just being that all-around player for Kentucky because Willie Colley-Stein is their defensive savant right now. But Carl Anthony Towns is able to shine on offense and he's able to grab those rebounds because Willie Colley-Stein does such a good job of blocking out. So I would say Carl Anthony Towns at this point is a better prospect, but I think both these guys will be very good in the NBA. Well, before we let you get out of here, how do you have it shaping up uh, this weekend uh, with the big game to be played on Monday night? I think that Kentucky is going to pull it out against Wisconsin in another thriller. And then it's hard to pick against Tom Izzo. It really is. But I think that Duke is just a more talented team. And ironically, that's what I had on my bracket. So I'm going to keep my bracket intact. And then Kentucky versus Duke in the national championship. I've got Kentucky winning it just because Duke only plays seven guys. I don't think that you can go up against this Kentucky team with seven guys and knock them off just because they've got so much depth at every position. It makes it really tough on a team. So I think Kentucky does it and goes 40-0. Well, there it is. I mean, Greg Peterson, you can follow him on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81. He has Kentucky and Duke in the final with Kentucky taking it all. Greg, thank you. It's always a pleasure. Love your insight and love your knowledge. And once again, I'm going to look for you on Twitter at the end of these games this weekend. But enjoy the final four this weekend. I am looking forward to it. Thank you very much for having me, Nick. All right. No problem. Now, uh, Mario... Early on this week, the Clippers and the Warriors locked horns, and, and, and there was an impressive move by Stephen Curry over the L.A. Clippers' Chris Paul. Here's what Oh, Stephen you mean the Curry move where Chris Paul's angles are now destroyed because of him? Yes, and here, here's what Steph Curry had to say about that. Through the paint and uh, kind of was just probing, and I knew he was trailing, and I thought I could make a move back to the basket. And somewhere creativity in between doing the, the double move or whatever. And then as soon as I saw him gonna go down, I knew I had to shoot it and just see what happened. You kind of get a little adrenaline rush because those are kind of cool moments, but I mean, thankfully his shot went in, he finished the play. And I haven't seen the bench yet, but instead everybody's going crazy. Mario, these two guys have uh, faced off plenty of times, and it seems as though Steph Curry has got the best of Chris Paul, especially when you talk about pure basketball moves and dribble ability. And, I mean, if you go back and watch that play, DeAndre Jordan is towering over him, thinking he's going to go for the quick layup, but he brings it out under the paint. And then next thing you know, here comes Chris Paul is trying to reach in, and he, he put the ball behind his back and right back behind his back. And for me... Don't reach, Chris, young blood. Well, well, Chris Paul, did he not trip over Steph Curry's foot? Can, can he, so, so can we actually give him a little leeway on that, or are we just going to say just Steph Curry just crossed him up? He crossed him up, Nick. I think you got to give credit where credit is due. And when somebody like Chris Paul gets did like he did, <laughs> you got to put him on blast at least a little bit. So I give all the credit to Steph Curry. And, man, that's that's what you get when the young blood tries to cross you, man. Don't reach, young blood. Hey, listen, man, you have to read your scouting report. You have to watch film. You have to know your, uh, your opponent, what, what hand that they're, they're best at dribbling at and some of their crossover moves. But I have to tell you, man, the move was so sweet. And one thing that happens in sports, no matter what the sport is, if you fall on the ground, now you become, especially in this social media age, you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter, you're on YouTube. So, man, stay on your feet. 
Keep your feet, like Mario said, young blood. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the Dallas Cowboys and DeMarco Murray. Would you take less money if your co-worker asked you to? We'll find out that and more. Coming up after the break, you're listening to Voice America Sports, Secondary Perspective. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. Crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Go ahead and pass me. He's like, why don't you take... Why don't you take a pay cut to that? I was like, I will. I was like, I would take a pay cut to go do this. And I'm like, they're going to restructure, you know what I mean, the whole thing. I mean, that's the same thing in some ways, just for the shadow cap purposes. He's like, okay, now we're back to being friends again. You know? I, was like, I was like, you're really worried about me? Like, I was like, I would, I would take I would take $5 million less if it meant getting you back. You know, he knew that. So. that that's the voice of Tony Romo on radio station 105.3 in Dallas-Fort Worth talking about a conversation that he and DeMarco Murray had some time back when DeMarco Murray asked him, jokingly, I guess, hey, Tony, would you be willing to take a pay cut to keep me uh, in in the building? And you heard what Tony Romo had to say about that. Obviously, that didn't happen because now DeMarco Murray is now donning a Philadelphia Eagles uniform, and Tony Romo just restructured his contract to free up $12.8 million. And the talks, and I said this before, that Adrian Peterson, I think, would be a great fit for the Dallas Cowboys with that revamped offensive line. We saw what DeMarco Murray did behind it, but imagine a guy like Adrian Peterson, but he's going to come at a hefty price. You know, the, the Vikings don't want to give him up, and his price tag well, And, and they shouldn't want to. That's the thing. 
Yeah, I mean, of, of course. I mean, the ball is in the Vikings' court. And, and the biggest thing is, could we see another Jimmy Johnson, you know, Herschel Walker trade where you swap so many players' draft choices for one particular player? We know how that ended up and worked out for the Dallas Cowboys. And right. for the Minnesota Vikings, you know, uh, Coach Zimmer has a young team. And, th- I mean, he can use some of those draft picks to make your team that much better, especially in a very competitive NFC North with the Green Bay, not Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bulls with, I mean, not the Bulls, but the Bears with former Denver Broncos head coach John Fox. So to me, I think you have to look at the idea, see exactly what Jerry Jones wants to give up, is willing to give up, because Jerry's got to pay for that big stadium with that jumbotron in there. So if you bring a guy like Adrian Peterson into the fold, I believe it definitely will help Tony Romo and take the pressure off of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard to make some sort of decision. Uh, obviously, restructuring would have been fine, but I still don't think that they wanted DeMarco Murray there, to be perfectly honest with you, Nick. If you look back at the, uh, the history of guys who led the league in rushing a year before their contract year and then were re-signed by those guys, you're looking at, I mean, I think the last one was Larry Johnson. Remember Larry Johnson for the Kansas City Chiefs who had a couple good years and then completely fell off? I think they were just really worried about opening up their checkbooks. And so, yeah, Tony Romo could take a pay cut. And, you know, oh, maybe they'll bring in Adrian Peterson if the price is right. But the Cowboys are going to have to figure this out because I don't want to hear all this nonsense about, oh, Darren McFadden is, is a capable enough running back. No, Darren McFadden is terrible. It doesn't matter who is on the offensive line. I know the Cowboys had the best offensive line, arguably, in football last year. But it doesn't matter if you don't have a somewhat capable running back, Nick. So it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Another guy who's trying to earn his way into the NFL and do it the right way, especially after some controversial off-the-field issues. Jameis Winston had his pro day at Florida State earlier this week, and every GM coach were there to watch on you had Lovey Smith, who the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had one of the first picks in this year's NFL draft. New head coach of the New York Jets, Todd Bowles, who's looking for someone to take over for Geno Smith after he hasn't really been the player that they wanted him to be. But here's what Jameis Winston had to say about his ability and his confidence and himself coming into this, this week's draft. Just one step, a uh, move six six yards, you know. And I believe throwing on the run is different than just managing the pocket and then just taking a step back and being able to let it accurately. Throwing on the run is different, so uh, I'm going I'm going to work on that hard, you know. But like I said, it's my first time having a football off season, and you better believe when I'm working with George, I'm just not doing no straight five drops or straight seven drops and hitching. I'm moving all around, you know. That's probably why I lost twenty pounds. That hurt me. You know what? You know, I was very impressed with how Jameis Winston handled himself uh, this season playing for the Seminoles of Florida State. And it only confirmed what I thought about him in his workout. And he's received some criticism, both he and George Woodfield, the quarterback uh, guru who helped him with his fundamentals and mechanics. The fact that he threw for over 102 passes uh, in in that scripted uh, pro day at Florida State. But to me, I, I like what they, they decided to do. Not too many quarterbacks would throw 102 passes, and I think it showed, showcased his arm, the durability, and the fact that his balls don't taper off after you know, throwing 102 passes. And he showed what he can do out in the field, short, intermediate, especially in the back of the end zones. He showed that he has great touch 
on, on the ball, but he also, more importantly, showed his leadership because if you watched it, he gathered those guys <laughs> together. He told them exactly what they needed to do. And as a young quarterback coming into the league, that teams are going to or looking to take you in the first round, they want to know that you have leadership qualities because you walk in day one and you want to be a plug-and-play guy. And I thought he did a great job, both George Whitfield and Jameis Winston show, showing what he can do on the field. Do you have any concerns with him about throwing 102 passes in the pro day uh, earlier this week? Well, let me ask you this, Nick. When he threw these passes, was he wearing pads or was he wearing, you know, athletic clothes? That's, that's something that I've never understood about the draft and I've never understood about pro day. You have all these players. They run the 40-yard da- uh, dash. The quarterbacks throw, receivers catch, running backs run, and sometimes they catch passes. And they, they do all these drills, Nick. But what good is it to find out a guy's 40-yard dash when he is in compression clothes, when they're in the specially made Under Armour stuff that is like it's making you more aerodynamic? And so none of that stuff really translates for me. And the reason that I bring that up is basically I'm not impressed with this. Yeah, you can throw the ball a ton of times, but when are you ever going to need to throw the ball more than 50 times in a game? If it ever happens, Nick, it might happen once, maybe twice. And that's just even that is maybe over overstating it a little bit. So. Yeah, I, I really don't see the point of throwing the ball that much because how how worn down is your arm going to be? I would rather him see. I would rather see him throw thirty to forty really good passes, full pads with a little bit of pressure in his face. Because honestly, Nick, if I'm out there and I'm throwing passes in street clothes, you know, I got some athletic gear on, a little sleeveless shirt, sun's out, guns out over here. I'm probably going to look pretty decent, too. My arm's not going to fall off after throwing the ball 100 times because I've done it before as well. So my thing is, if I'm not impressed by it because it's something that I feel like I would be able to do, then it's not a big deal to me. And something that I think is really getting overlooked, Nick, just because Jameis Winston was acquitted on the rape charges and all of that, it's it's never really going to be behind him because the simple fact is it was brought up for a reason. Clearly, this kid keeps getting in trouble. And obviously, you really hope that he figures it out and he he understands that he needs to grow up. He needs to be an adult. And he, he is still a young kid. I guess we can't really forget that. He's, what, 21, 22 years old. But he's got to grow up. If you were going to be taken as the number one pick in the NFL draft, which I would never do, to be perfectly honest, if it was me, uh, if I'm the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I'm getting the best available player. I'm not reaching for a quarterback, especially if it's Jameis Winston, because yeah, I think he just has too much off-field baggage, Nick. So, yeah, he's he's a capable quarterback. I'm sure he'll be fine if he goes to the right team, the right system, uh, somebody that knows how to coach him and reach him. I think his ceiling is fairly high, but there's always, with him, I think, going to be a high risk of something bad happening. That's why Johnny Manziel fell as far as he did last year. And I think Jameis Winston is right in that same area. Okay, he knows how to talk to the media. He knows how to read defenses. Big deal, Nick. O.J. Simpson really knew how to do all of that stuff, too. Didn't make him innocent. Well, I think, I mean, that's a little different here. We're talking about, you know, off-the-field issues. And, and yeah, you mentioned the fact that Jameis Winston is, is 21. But to me, that's 21 years of knowing what not to do. I mean, you know what to do on the field. You should know what to do off the field as well. And then I, I would also add to this. You looked at Johnny Manziel when Johnny Manziel had his workout day. Former President George Bush Sr. was there, and he threw with pads on. But to me, 
you really can't get an assessment of for these quarterbacks because these plays are scripted. They, they're drilled. So they know exactly where to go with these balls. You don't exactly. Really and, know. And, he's throwing to, and he's throwing to guys that he's completely familiar with. You know, he right. knows where they're going to be before they're there. So it doesn't impress me at all. That's what I'm saying. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, if we can't, we have to reserve our judgment. We can't just judge Jameis Winston and not talk about maybe Marcus Mariota or any quarterbacks before them, Cam Newton and even Johnny Manziel. To me, you, you go and you look at these workouts and you see if these workouts has any duplication of what you saw on the film. And to me, I always go back to the film because to me, proof is in the pudding. I want to see how you, you reacted on the, on the field. And you look at Jameis Winston last season. Four games, I believe it was, when they were down by double digits. And he willed his team with his performance, with his arms, with his feet to come back. To me, I think that's something that you should take a look at. And I think that's why, you know, he and his coach, George Whitfield, decided we're going to throw 102 passes because we know that so much talk is about the off-the-field issues. We want to bring it back to the fundamentals of football and now focus on, on that. But now moving on to something else, NFL draft will take place in Chicago, opposed to Big Apple, New York City. You know, to me, how do you recreate the atmosphere and the nostalgia associated with having the NFL draft in, in the big city? I mean, what do you think about this? Because Jameis Winston, who we're talking about now, and Marcus Mariota, they're not going. How does this affect the NFL now moving into Chicago, opposed to being in New York? Um, honestly, I don't, I don't really take too much stake in it. Obviously, you'd like to see you know, the top one or top two quarterbacks at the draft. So when their names are called to be up on the stage, especially if one of them is going to be the first overall pick, it just seems kind of weird. But you know what, Nick, I I do get it. Um, I would honestly never criticize Marcus Mariota for any sort of decision he makes because he has shown time and time again that he makes stellar judgment. He's a family first guy uh, and he's going to be in Hawaii with his family. So are we really going to get mad at him for that? I mean, I would probably rather be in Hawaii with my family over anything else as well. And Jameis Winston isn't going to attend because he's going to be with his grandmother who can't travel. So, you know, that's that's a plus for me in my book as well. So maybe this is an anomaly, Nick. Maybe it just happens this one time where the top two quarterbacks aren't going to be at the draft. Just one of those weird things. And I don't think the fact that it's in Chicago has anything to do with it simply because if the draft was still in New York, I think these kids would still decide not to go. And it's purely based on their own personal uh, situations. So I, I don't think it's going to start a trend because honestly, I think a lot of these kids would rather be at New York or at Chicago at the draft, walking up onto the stage, shaking Roger Goodell's hand. You know, the only time that you're going to do anything nice in the direction of Roger Goodell, get your team's hat and be up there at Radio City or wherever it might be and have all those people hopefully cheering you and just kind of take it all in. So I, I don't put too much stake into it. And the guys that are choosing to stay, I really don't mind it. Uh, really quickly, sum it up in about 10 seconds. WrestleMania, you had a chance to watch that. <laughs> Basically, John Cena, be Rusev. It was USA versus Russia. And so obviously USA is going to win. This guy was like a total communist and very anti-American. I, you know, it's all staged. But of course, John Cena, who's a fan favorite, he went on and won. And Brock Lesnar, who's maybe the most noteworthy guy who really didn't do much in the WWE this year was the champion all year. Uh, he was going up a guy against a guy named Roman Reigns, and you know the WWE was building him up as the next big thing. And fans didn't really take to it, so they kind of had to find an out. And 
like right before WrestleMania, you found out on SportsCenter that Brock Lesnar was not going to resign with the UFC and he was going back to the WWE. You know, we'll see how that turns out for him, but they both ended up getting their title taken. And Brock Lesnar got the title taken from uh, Seth Rollins, who was a guy that had the money in the bank. He's a young up-and-comer, but he's kind of like the D-bag that nobody likes, and no one's really happy that he won the championship. So now he has the belt, and then the day after WrestleMania on Raw, Brock Lesnar was going to challenge him. Seth Rollins declined, and Brock Lesnar went nuts, and now he's indefinitely suspended, which, keep in mind, is all part of the play. It's part of the script. So we'll see what happens from here on out. But I, whether it's real or fake, Nick, I'm not trying to get in the ring with Brock Lesnar. But I tell you what, we will touch on that more next week. But thanks to Greg Peterson for joining the program and also Antonio Freeman. Wherever you are right now listening, have a great weekend. Enjoy the Final Four. Until next week, we will see you. Nick Ferguson and Mario Batanzi here on Voice America Sports. Have a good again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week. 